Well, good morning, church. I hope you're all keeping well and I'm sure you're looking forward to actually being able to meet together face to face, hopefully in a not too distant future. Well, this morning uh, we're going to be continuing with our talk on the book of Daniel and I've got the pleasure of looking at the second chapter. And I'd like to split this talk a little bit. I'd like to start by giving you a bit of background particularly with the Babylonian Empire. This is quite important, as without this context, we will miss quite a bit. Then I'm going to remind us of the story of this chapter. And finally, I want to bring out two, what I think are really important learnings for us all. Well, a bit of context first. Now, it all started with the brutal Assyrian Empire 200 years before our story. And the Assyrians had taken away the 10 northern tribes of Israel. The Assyrians were based here in Nineveh and they dominated the nations and the people around them, including a brutal domination of the people of this city here, Babylon. They were relatively near neighbours to each other. Now, seven years before Daniel was taken into exile by them, the Babylonians finally rose up against their hated enemy. They got into Nineveh through water cisterns and a crack in the Nineveh wall and they burnt the ancient city to the ground. It was a great shock to everybody as the Assyrians seemed such an invincible people. They were finally overrun by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar I. Now, just a few short years later, on the throne is his son, Nebuchadnezzar II, who is the Nebuchadnezzar of our story in Daniel. What happened was this. In 609 BC, Nebuchadnezzar II defeated the Egyptian pharaoh in a great battle at this place called Megiddo. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Hamagiddo or Armageddon in Greek. He then went on to invade Judah in the south. Now, Jehoiakim was the king of Judah at the time, and he was allied to the other great power, in the region, which was Egypt, as Nancy reminded us two weeks ago. When Nebuchadnezzar attacked, Jehoiakim switched his allegiance to Babylon. So Judah, along with Benjamin, became a puppet state and Jehoiakim had to pay regular tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. Now it's in the middle of all this that Daniel was taken into exile in 605 BC. Four years later, in 601, Nebuchadnezzar decided to invade Egypt properly and he was beaten. So King Jehoiakim switched his allegiance once again back to Egypt and he stopped paying his tribute. Well, Nebuchadnezzar quickly dealt with this rebellion and Jerusalem fell in 589 BC. The massacre was terrible and Jehoiakim died in this most dreadful of sieges. Now, Daniel was amongst the first to be taken in the first deportation prior to the siege of Jerusalem. Two larger deportations were to follow eight and 19 years later. They were taken away for some 70 years. Some would return with Nehemiah. Most Jews did not return and there was a Jewish community in Iraq until the 1940s. The wise men of Jesus' birth probably came from this group. Now, I'd also like to remind us that God planned this exile and he raised up Babylon to do this very thing. Don't forget that just 40 years earlier, under King Manasseh, 
Israel did not worship God. They worshipped every other vile Canaanite god, but they did not worship the god Yahweh. Yahweh had been completely forgotten until Manasseh's grandson Josiah, at the age of 26, rediscovered the law of Moses and rediscovered Yahweh their God, just 15 short years before Daniel was taken. Because of this infidelity, God removed them from the land. As the prophet Jeremiah had said to Josiah, God has a purpose for Babylon. Do not resist them. Well, let's come back to our story. Daniel. Daniel was a youth who was part of the Jewish nobility based in Jerusalem. In Judaism and in the Hebrew Bible and in Jesus' Bible, Daniel is not a prophet. The book of Daniel is not in the section of the Bible called the Prophets. Interestingly, the book of Joshua, Judges, Samuel and Kings is in the Hebrew prophets section. The Greeks wrongly called them history books, but they're not. They're called former prophets. And you get a lot more out of Kings and those other books if you read them as prophetic books. That means to learn how God thinks and how he acts from these books. Daniel, however, is not in the prophet section. It's in the writings section. It does contain some remarkable prophecies. We can all prophesy, of course, but we are not all prophets. And Daniel was never called a prophet in the Bible. He was of David's royal family. He was good looking, otherwise they were not taken. He was renowned for his wisdom, his righteousness and his steadfastness to his God. He was renamed Belteshazzar, which means Bel's prince. Bel was the ruling god in the Babylonian pantheon. He would often faint and grow weary and grow weak, go pale after he'd received a vision from God. And sometimes it says that it would take him many days to recover from this. By the time he went to the lions, he was in his 70s or 80s. The book of Daniel covers around 75 years of his life. He was a faithful government servant for around 70 years. Let's take a moment to consider Nebuchadnezzar. His name means, O God, Nabu. Nabu was another Babylonian god. He was the longest ruling and most powerful of all of the Babylonian monarchs. He inherited the throne from his father in 605 and he spent a year putting out a few fires in Babylon before looking to expand his empire. Now, Babylon was an extraordinary city. As you can see from these photos of the ancient ruins today, it forms the largest archaeological site on planet Earth. The city was vast. It was 22 times larger than the city of Jerusalem where Daniel had come from. This video gives an impression of the place. Nebuchadnezzar enlarged the royal palace. He built a public museum, possibly the world's first museum. He built and repaired temples. He built a bridge over the river Euphrates and constructed a grand processional boulevard called the Processional Way and a new gateway, the Ishtar Gate, lavishly decorated with blue glazed brick. From Ishtar we get the name Esther, a Babylonian goddess. You can see the reconstructions and some of the ruins in the British Museum in London today. 
Each spring equinox at the start of the new year, the people would welcome their gods into the city and a great procession would take place through the Ishtar Gate amongst rejoicing crowds. Now Nebuchadnezzar had married a beautiful princess from the mountains of Persia, where Tehran, the capital of Iran, is located today. She came to the palace of Nebuchadnezzar, but she was soon very homesick. She really missed the mountains, the trees and the wild animals. And when Nebuchadnezzar heard of her complaint, he promised to deal with it. And he built a huge mountain of brick and he covered it with trees and shrubs and plants. It was outstanding. And it became one of the seven wonders of the world and tourists would flock to see the hanging gardens of Babylon. And then on top of this garden, he placed a private zoo of wild animals, all to please his wife, unused to the flat plains around Babylon. Well, it was here that arrived Daniel and his three friends. Can you imagine what they must have thought? Chosen for their intellect and good looks, as we've said, to serve in the Babylonian court. It's worth noting that the four young men's abilities were God-given. Chapter 1 says, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel, he gave understanding in all visions and dreams. God was preparing him. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he had a dream. He was deeply disturbed by it to the point where he could no longer sleep. And it drove him wild. He commanded all of the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell him what the dream was. The Chaldeans were based here. Abraham came from Chaldea, Ur of the Chaldees or the Chaldees. By now they had become known for their astrology and their witchcraft. King, they said, tell us your dream And we will give you the interpretation. Well, the king was cruel, but he was not stupid. No, so that you don't deceive me, you must tell me both the dream and the interpretation. If not, all of you will be cut down and executed. There's not a man on earth who can tell the king's dream, they said. No king has ever asked such a thing of any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. At this the king became very angry and he ordered the execution of the wise men of the court, including Daniel and his friends. Now the king's captain, a man called Arioch, came for Daniel. And Daniel asked, what's this all about? Why so urgent? And so Arioch told him all that had happened and Daniel got a message to Nebuchadnezzar and asked for time in order that he might tell the king his dream. We're told that Daniel sought the Lord and shortly after God revealed the dream to Daniel in a night vision or a dream. And upon receiving this, we're told that Daniel worshipped the God in heaven. And he said to Arioch, OK, take me to the king and I will tell him what he wants to know. So he did. And he brought Daniel in, saying, I found a man who was taken captive from Jerusalem, who says that he will interpret your dream. And Daniel said this to the king, Whatever you have demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians and the Chaldeans, they could not give you, but there is a God in heaven. 
Now, that's a really important phrase. We'll come back to it shortly. But there is a God in heaven, he said, who reveals secrets and he has made known to you what will happen in future days. This is your dream, he told the king. You, O king, were watching and beheld a great image whose splendour was excellent. And this image stood before you and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And then the iron and the clay, the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Immediately Daniel said, now I will tell you what this means. The God of heaven has given you a kingdom. He's given them into your hand and he's made you ruler over all of them. You are the head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. And this did happen. The Medes and the Persians came along, but they didn't have the splendor of the Babylonian. And then Daniel said another, a third kingdom of bronze will come along, which shall rule over all the earth. Now this too happened, as described. Alexander the Great and the Greeks annihilated the Persians. Daniel continued, and a fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will crush all other kingdoms. You saw the feet and toes made partly of clay and partly of iron. The kingdom shall be divided like this. And as the toes and the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And so it was with the Roman Empire that would crush all others, but an empire that would eventually divide into two, the legs being ruled from both Rome in the west and Constantinople, modern day Istanbul in the east. And he continued, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. It shall stand forever as you saw, the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and had it broke the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. And actually, this prophecy is still unfolding before us. And one day we will know what it all means in great detail. I'm not going to get into that today. Well, immediately upon hearing this, the king fell prostrate on his face before Daniel and he said, truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of all kings. Following this, Daniel was made ruler over the whole province of Babylon. He was made the chief over all wise men. He asked the king to set his three friends up to look after the affairs of Babylon. But it says that Daniel sat in the gate of the king as chief of justice, looking after the courts of justice. You know, Daniel's various predictions would come to pass in extraordinary detail. 
so accurate that some scholars have decided that Daniel was mythical. How could such miracles occur, they said? And that some biblical theologians would say this is tragic. And schools of higher criticism have risen up in the 1800s and the 1900s that deny the supernatural ability of God. I tell you, they know neither the word of God nor his ability. Our God is a supernatural God, a God who can and does intervene in the affairs of men, a God who can and does answer the prayers of a righteous person, a God who is more than capable of speaking the future. Let me start to wrap up. What can we learn from this? Let me come back to that phrase of Daniel's to Nebuchadnezzar. There is a God in heaven. Now, this is very important to me. Listen carefully to me, church, very carefully. Troubled times are always an opportunity to demonstrate this. There is a God in heaven. When Christians die, it should be a time when people say, look how their God has given them peace through this. See how they do not fear death. When a Christian loses a job, what an opportunity for our family and friends to say, look at how this God of theirs has given them peace in this situation. Look how they keep up their good cheer. When a Christian faces any trouble, we either reflect well on God or badly, but one way or another, we do testify something. You know, we were never promised freedom from trouble. Indeed, we were promised great trouble, but Jesus said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome. And our response to trouble and our response to the current troubles will be a witness. Let's make sure that it's a good one. Let people say of us, those Christians have got something different in their lives. I want what they have got. Let's be great ambassadors for our saviour, our hero, when times aren't so good. Some people might just have the same response as Nebuchadnezzar had on seeing this. And they might fall down prostrate before God and declare, truly there is a God in heaven. Truly you are God. Not only that, but it reminded the Jews, those in exile, that there was a God in heaven. That God was with them. And I'd like to remind us that we serve a God who is with us. We too are in exile. Peter calls us sojourners and exiles. This is not our home. And sometimes we need reminding that God is with us. There is a God who never lets his people go. And as he stood with the Jews in exile, so he still stands with Jewish believers and those of us that have been grafted in to his most wonderful of families. He continues to walk into the future with us. So whether in good times or bad times, let God's people demonstrate that there is a God in heaven. One way or another, we will be witnesses, either good or bad. Oh, let people say of us, I've been watching these people and maybe, just maybe, there is a God. Maybe what they have is true. Maybe their hope is real. Remember that God is with us, 
that miracle working supernatural sacrificial God is with us as he was with the Jews in exile. He is alive and well alongside us, Emmanuel. You know, soon after Daniel, there was to be a period of around 400 years when there was no prophet in Israel. But then another would come calling in the wilderness, John the Baptist, make way for the Messiah. God himself was to come to earth and to intervene. He was to take our guilt and our punishment. He is a God that gets involved with us, but only if we invite him. And he's most certainly coming back. Much of the book of Daniel looks into the far future at a time when our hero will come back again and take his family home. It looks forward to a great wedding that will take place. Let us be ready for that wedding. If you're not part of this family, seek him out and you will find him if you're earnest about it. If you are part of his family, be attentive to your walk with God. Stay firm, stay right, stay upright and righteous before him. Don't be like a bride that fell asleep whilst waiting for the groom to arrive, as we are reminded in that story that Jesus has told. Let's be ready for our beloved. Let's be ready for our hero who is coming back again. God bless you all. Amen.